0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. A little Christmas feels to get going for the sermon this morning. Hi, uh, hey, my name is Dean, the pastor here. Thanks for making us part of your Sunday uh, here in this Advent season as we all anticipate uh, Christmas coming. Uh, the hope is that this idea of a home for Christmas will point us to a world that is to come, to a, a home that God has prepared for us that's waiting for all those who are in Christ. Uh, in the same way that for so many generations, the Old Testament believers longed for the Messiah to come, now we long as Christians for the Messiah to return. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And just just to reiterate again, uh, it's good to hear it again and one more time, we're only going to be at one service next week at 10 o'clock. One service next week, this building, 10 o'clock. And also Christmas Eve, get on your radar, bring your family uh, to be here at 3 or 5 on Christmas Eve. I'm really hoping that night can allow churches everywhere to uh, return to some sort of sense of normalcy, uh, is what I'm hoping. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Luke chapter 2, looking at the biblical character, an important figure in the Christmas story, Simeon, this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word that you've given it to us. Uh, We ask that we will be faithful stewards of your truth Uh, that we be more concerned with what you have to say than any other source in this universe, Uh, because we believe it's an act of grace that our God has spoken and given us the scriptures. Let us be people who have conviction that runs deep about your word and that it is true. Thank you for the good news of Jesus that we get to celebrate as we gather together this morning. And I ask that the things I say today will not be of my opinion, but of your truth, that you keep the enemy out of our town and out of this place. We also ask you with all the churches in our cities that gather today, as we know we're not the only ones doing this, that you empower pastors all across our town to preach the good news today. We depend on you, and it's in Jesus' name we ask this, amen. Luke chapter 2, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and then he tells us why this happened. He includes, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." Uh, as was customary to, to really be an observant Jew and actually obey the law, here on the eighth day of Jesus' life, he was brought by his parents to the temple to be circumcised. Uh, this is not just custom, even though it is. It's not just law-keeping, even though it is. It's even bigger than that. We're seeing that from the very beginning, like Luke makes it clear and even like goes out of his way to explain to us that Jesus always kept the law his entire life. Even when he was a baby, he was obeying the law. His parents, of course, were doing it here, but that Jesus was always in step, rightly, with the law of God. That's significant, that matters. So here on his eighth day, he's being presented at the temple uh, to be circumcised as the law taught, as it was proper uh, for observant Jews at this time. And then we're told that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, again, the reminder of what was actually taking place, why it was happening, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary: Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There's so much in this story that matters so much for us to be able to understand exactly how really we should respond to the reality of Christmas by looking at this really kind of quick picture of Simeon's experience. Simeon is described as looking forward to Israel's consolation. It's not a word we use very often, that word consolation in our vocabulary anymore, Uh, but here scripturally, it's the same word used in verses that refer to the promised Messiah. In Isaiah 40, verse 1, it says, comfort, comfort my people Israel. Same word that's used. Isaiah 66, 13, I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So the comfort of God's people is the reality of the Messiah coming as was promised to save God's people, to deliver them from their sins, to reconcile them to God. They were looking for the Messiah, all these Old Testament writings, and his redemption and salvation that would come with him. So what is that actually impacted the life of this man, Simeon, based on this story we just read? Well, I'm just going to call messianic expectations. That's what drove his life, messianic expectation. The waiting for the promised Messiah to come became the foundation of what he was about. I think of our new Christmas album we just put out. I'm really excited about that. I hope it's a gift to many people. The first song on our Christmas album is Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. This is one of the ultimate examples of this in Scripture, of Simeon had been basically proclaiming that with his life as long as he could remember and here in this moment everything that he had prayed, come thou long expected Jesus was coming true. Then we're introduced to someone named Anna. Verse 36, there's also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, She came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's another witness. You have Simeon, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. Here you have Anna next saying, here it is, this is the Messiah. Witnesses were very important in these times. God prescribed the need for witnesses to give accounts. And here are two witnesses here in the temple saying, this is the child, this is the one. And these people were looking forward, the text says, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I mean, how rare is that today, a life like this described here, these lives, Simeon and Anna? I don't know about you, but I really struggle with wanting things always in the here and now. I'd wrestle with wanting to always have instant happiness, instant satisfaction, exactly what I want, when I want. I want to see it in the moment satisfaction instantly when I snap my finger. Like, that's the norm and reality I want. And, and that w- idea of longing, of anticipating, patience, looking forward, waiting, those are words we don't really like to use anymore. Because in our culture, we don't really need to think about those words. I can buy what I want in a click. I can have my Starbucks waiting for me, and I walk in the door to get my mobile order, which only happens like 15 times a day for me. Christmas shopping, everything right there when you want it in the moment, whatever TV show you want to watch, what movie you want to watch, on demand. I'm thankful for those things. I'm not complaining. I thank God for just those little just acts of convenience. I'm grateful for those things, but that idea of longing has really just kind of left our reality. But here we have Simeon's story It's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's promised Messiah. And how long had he been waiting? I mean, he went regularly to the temple. And probably when he would go in there, he would go, Wow, this this family's here on the eighth day bringing, bringing their child to be circumcised. Is this the one? Is this the one? Or. He didn't even know the whole story. I mean, it might not even have been a baby. Some people back then thought the Messiah would come in like a warrior. Who am I looking for exactly? Who am I waiting for? And now, here it is right in front of him. Basically, his bucket list moment. We're told in verse 28, Simeon took up in his arm, took him up in his arms and praised God. Like, here in this moment was was the one who was the fulfillment of all God's promises. But this is the actual one who fulfilled all the Old Testament. That makes all the Old Testament make sense. And here was Simeon, who actually believed those promises, who believed what the Old Testament said, who actually believed them literally, and was faithful to God's word, and waited for God to fulfill them. Fulfill them. And God did. Like this was like his bucket list moment. Here's what was told in verse 29, his response. Now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Not assigning promises to God that he's never made, which happens a lot in the world of kind of popular Christian new prosperity gospel, where we ascribe these ideas onto God, and then we get disappointed with God because we've assumed promises on him he never made to begin with. Rather, promises God actually made that a Messiah would come who would fix what was broken. Who would repair the broken relationship between God and his people. And here is Simeon in the moment saying, now, from my eyes, have seen your salvation. People have different bucket lists. Some people maybe want to go to some city in Europe or go on an African safari or go climb this certain mountain or go to a game at Fenway Park or Lambeau Field in Green Bay or accomplish these things before it's all said and done. I think all those things are great, and I have my own list. You'd think my list is strange. It's like obscure college sports games all around the country. But here's a man that what life fulfillment actually looked like was to see for himself the promised Messiah. I love this prayer from Scotty Smith, who's a pastor in Nashville, in the context of Simeon's story. Here's what he wrote like as a response to it, Lord Jesus, it's only because you embraced us in the gospel that we have a good measure of the same peace Simeon experienced. For you are God's promised salvation for Israel, for Gentiles and for us. And you, we found the consolation that cannot be found anywhere else. You are our righteousness and redemption, our holiness and hope, our sanity and surety and a whole lot more. The saints in heaven are more joyful than us, but they're not more loved or more secure than we are. Because here was Simeon waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. And now we as Christians are living in the reality of knowing it actually came true. We're not waiting for the Messiah to come. We can go even further than Simeon. We've seen, we, we know that Jesus died. He, he accomplished, it is finished, his mission. He died a death that we deserve to make us right with God, to absorb and take on all of God's punishment for sin, to declare us not guilty, dying in our place. He rose from the grave three days later. That's the world we live in. With these promises already a reality. So, because of that, let's be people who join Simeon and let us live as thankful people, grateful people. And also expectant people for Christ to come again. It's sometimes, I guess, kind of under, maybe emphasized doctrine in the scriptures. as the second coming of Christ. That he will return for his church. He will return for his people. He's going to make all things new. He's going to restore all that was broken. A new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more sickness, no more disease. No more racism, no more abuse. No more sexual revolution, no more political wars, no more suffering, no more pain. And the greatest benefit, though, is we will actually be with God and be with him for all eternity. So I think we need to ask God to continue to show us the difference and convict us over the difference by the Holy Spirit between things that matter and things that really don't matter. I mean, Simeon's not saying here that that life isn't worth living. That's not what he's saying. Rather, God, you can dismiss me now because my greatest need has been met. Like, He is the one who is all sufficient. Of all the needs I could ever have, of all the things I could actually long for, they're all being fulfilled right in front of me. God, you are the substance of my life, you are the goal, you are the point. And now it's all been realized, he's saying. It reminds me of when Paul wrote to the Philippian church from his prison. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live great, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be part of his mission, part of a local church. I'm going to live my life for Christ and for his glory and for his name. I'm going to live my life fueled by the love of God understood in Christ. But if I die, it's gain. Why? Because I get to live out forever God's ultimate purpose for me, his ultimate plan for me, and his ultimate will for my life, which is to be with him forever. There is no one in heaven right now that would come back here if you gave them the option. That that sounds strange because our mind thinks this is it. This is what is. But for those who have gone to be with the Lord... That actually is God's ultimate purpose for us, is to be with him forever. We know very little about this, what we're called, what is, who is called a righteous and devout man, but we do know that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was longing for the arrival of the Messiah. He was longing for the day when God would establish his reign on earth, and he didn't even know Jesus' name yet. He didn't even know exactly who he was looking for, but it was him he was waiting for. And it happened. Why? Because Simeon's life was driven by hope. Simeon's life was driven by hope. So I ask the question of all of us, what's, what's your life driven by? What's it driven by? I, I, f- I think we have to be honest and say, for a lot of people, especially the last year, however long, your life's been driven by fear. Fear. Like, like, like when are, we, are, we gonna, are we allowed to have a space to have a conversation about the difference in wisdom and fear? There's a very big difference in those two things. Many people's lives, that's what it's been driven by. There's no place for that for the Christian. We're also called not to live our lives recklessly, but we're not called to live our lives in Fear. Other people live their lives in order to be right, to be proven right, to advance themselves, to to find some kind of fulfillment in uh, whatever applause we're looking for. Oftentimes, our lives are driven by even things that are good in themselves, if it's children, friendships, a relationship, ambition, work, all, all good things. But not ultimate things, if it's what actually drives our life. What drove Simeon's life was hope. John MacArthur wrote this, he believed the promises that God had given to Abraham, and he believed the promises of blessing that God had given to Moses, and he believed the promises that God had given to David, that God had reiterated through all the prophets. He believed all of that. He believed the promises that are, that are captured in the majesty of the Psalms, which he no doubt had recited and sung as a child. He believed God would keep his word and make good on his promises. Simeon was thrilled to embrace the child. Why? I believe the reason why he was quick to embrace the child was that he knew more than ever that the child was going to embrace him. The baby he was holding. Like that song in Mary, or the lyric in Mary, Did You Know, that song. Some people love it, some don't, but there's a great lyric in there. My favorite lyric in all the song. That child that you delivered will soon deliver you. The baby being embraced by Simeon. It probably freaked his parents out a little bit. Mary and Joseph walk in, (laughs) grabs the baby, goes Lion King. You know, they're like that. But who knows? They're like, whoa, easy. Here, he's embracing a child, being thrilled to know the child would actually embrace him. We're told that Jesus himself said his words, that those the father gives him will never be able to be taken out of his hand. Embrace that we're secure in Christ. Because that baby would grow up and give his life for sinners like you and me. And Simeon knew this is all he really actually needed. Like, God, you told me I would live until I've seen the Messiah. Now I've seen him. My hope is fulfilled. My joy is complete. Like, my heart is actually at peace. And I, and I think, what would it be for me? Like, what would I say? Like, what would, it, what would, it, what would it be the answer? What would it be the fill in the blank if my heart will be at peace if blank. Like, my joy will be complete if blank. Like, my life will have sense and meaning if blank. Like, like what am I filling the blanks for that? Just as so a pastor does not mean that, that fill in the blanks for me are Jesus and heaven and life with God. I believe those things. I want those things to be a reality in my life, but how often is that far from the truth? I want to be more like Simeon who fulfillment for him was being embraced and embracing the Messiah. And then after that, the other things in life, the good things in life can really be fulfilling for us because they had their proper place, which are secondary things and not ultimate things. Simeon here is looking in the eyes of the one who was prophesied of. This is the one that Abraham looked forward to. Like, this is the seed of Abraham. This is the Messiah that was spoken by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. Like, all of them pointing to one, to one who would come. But he doesn't stop there. Like, yes, he's seeing him. Yes, he's celebrating. But in his kind of declaration and response, he goes further. And he lets us know this Messiah is not just for the Jews. Verse 31, you have prepared and the presence, he says, of all the people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. A glory to your people Israel. And what he's saying here is that Simeon from the beginning, Luke wants to make it known that Jesus was not just going to be the Savior of the Jewish people. He was not going to be the Savior of just the people of Israel, And not just the remnant, not just the believing Israel, that he believed the actual promise that extended to the number of stars in the sky, that would come to all people, whom God has chosen for himself as the bride of Christ, that he was going to be a savior to the world, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. What an awesome way to put it. He's the only way of salvation, the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Ligon Duncan says that Jesus is the dividing point of history, the dividing point of humanity, the dividing point of salvation. Did you know that Christmas is a very, very divisive holiday if we celebrate it as we're supposed to? I don't mean divisiveness in terms of fights and quarrels and arguments, but it's very, very divisive. Why? Because if the Messiah has come, then everything changes. That God really is working and redeeming his people through Christ. And also means that every other religion falls short, and falls flat, and is false. And some people, some people might not like to hear that nowadays, but here's reality. If, if other religions are the same, if everywhere leads to the same place ultimately, you know, different paths, different journeys, same God, all that kind of language you hear, then Christmas is not worth celebrating. Then why is it significant that the Messiah came? You know why it's significant that the Messiah came? Because there's only one name under heaven and earth by which man can be saved, and his name is Jesus and God has sent him to us. He's a dividing point. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He's the dividing point of humanity. He's the dividing point of salvation. And here we're reminded of the necessity of faith in Jesus the Messiah. That he's the only Lord and Savior. He's appointed for the rise and fall of Israel. Well, there's something cute about this story. It's going to be tempting this time of year to, to just want to be sentimental about Christmas. And just want to be like the feels about Christmas. Even though I enjoy all those things. But Simeon here is saying, I, I need to tell you who this boy is. Like I know you understand, Mary, because the angel told you this. Joseph, I know you understand because the angel told you this but he is the one that people must repent of their sins and trust in him as the only way of salvation. Like if they do this, they'll be ushered into the kingdom of God, but those who don't, the rise, the fall of Jerusalem, they're awaiting death, they're being cast out, they will be judged for their sins. And how Israel responds to this one named Jesus will determine their forever fate what Jesus said in what we're told in John 1 he came to his own and his own received him not but to them that did receive him there were some he gave them the power to be sons of God if we reject him we die if we embrace the child and who he is and will become and now is forever and always has been we will live why? Because he's the consolation for God's people. That's why when you hear songs on the radio like, Oh Come, O oh Come, Emmanuel, or playing in your home during Christmas time, or we sing it at church, I try to identify with those people who are longing, who are longing to be ransomed, longing to be ultimately delivered and forgiven. And now for us, we give thanks to God and worship him that it's happened, that it's come true, but now we look to another time when he will return, ultimately deliver us once and for all we've been delivered from sin and sin's penalty and then one day we'll be delivered from all of sin's consequences on this earth and the brokenness all around us but that comfort would come by great pain for Mary a sword verse 35 will pierce your own soul the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed but she would see her son die You can't have Christmas without a cross. The point of Christmas is the cross. And that death would reveal the reality of the Messiah and his resurrection would then reveal the hearts of all people. Those who are for God, those who are for themselves. Would show our sinfulness, the need for a Messiah, for redemption, for forgiveness. And here are these people for generations and generations. Hearing these promises of a Messiah. Unlike us where we're being told that he already has come. We're told his story and what he's done and that he's alive right now because of his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. That he's ruling and reigning right this minute. We have the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and to guide us. We have a completed Bible. So we await one more thing. His return. But those before us, they waited for everything else. They waited for this, this Messiah to come. They didn't know how, when. And eventually, human nature, you got to f- f- people of people saying, well, I guess it's never going to happen. And then... When the Old Testament was concluded, it's not like the writers of the New Testament clocked out on Friday and came back on Monday and started writing again. There was 400 years of silence. 400 years were as if God said nothing. No spoken word from God, no scripture that we have. Logical conclusion would be what? That God's at best forgotten about us? And at worst, which is even blasphemous to say, but human nature might have thought this, he lied? Or he wasn't being serious, or he didn't keep his word? And then, there's these shepherds one night, keeping watch over their flock by night. Sky lights up and angels appear. And they say, glory to God, because everything he's promised is coming true right this second. And here is Simeon, who was righteous and devout. And apparently, he, I'm sure he had his moments, he's a human, but he never really wavered because he's kept going to the temple and kept going there over and over again. And here's Anna who hung out there and camped there and prayed and fasted. And now each time them are going, here he is. And everything makes sense in our lives right now. And God keeps his word. And this is gonna grow and he's gonna deliver God's people through his sinless life through his substitutionary death, through his bodily resurrection, and one day he's going to return again. So in the meantime, what does it mean for us? For us, it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. As long as God has us here, we're to live for his glory, for his church, for his mission, That we're to care about what God has established, his local church, and finally it's gonna preach the Bible and care about his word and care about the gospel and say, I'm gonna go in with that. I'm gonna be part of that until God takes me home and we serve his church and serve his people and be a part of his mission. And the die is gained. that I anticipate the fact that one day I will be with him forever. And if in the meantime, we declare together, come Lord Jesus. They waited to be delivered. We wait now for our ultimate deliverance. And as God's people, we should be people who have a humble confidence, humble knowing that we are fully dependent upon God, that we cannot save ourselves. We are so dependent. We could not ascend to God because of our sins, so he descended to us. And a confidence knowing that we're living in the reality of a God who promises everything that he needs to promise and wants to promise, and that it all is coming true. So we have confidence in God's word, humility over our condition, and gratitude over the reality of now who we are, that we are new creations, we're redeemed, we've been made new, that we're children of God, sons and daughters of the King, and that Jesus is reigning and ruling right this moment and one day will come again for his church. I want my life to be marked by hope and to be marked by waiting. Hope, certainly in the reality of Christ, a certain hope and waiting for one day all things to be made new. In the meantime, Full speed ahead together for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the good news of Jesus, and we ask that we'll be found faithful. There will be people who respond to the reality of the coming of Christ and all that we know to be true, that Simeon didn't even have full luxury to know of the ultimate death and resurrection. Lord, that we'll be people who do have a humble confidence. We'll be certain of your love for us, of your plan for us, of your promises to us and realize how dependent we are upon you. So I pray for our church. I pray for those in Tallahassee that know you. Let us be unashamed with the gospel. Let us love you and love those around us. Let us be people of grace and of truth. Let us be people of hope because we are certain that you are the one that you claim to be. We wait for Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.